The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. He was of African as well as indigenous descent. He fought in the War of 1812, not for the British or the Americans, but for Tecumseh, who was a, a Shawnee and kind of pan-indigenous visionary and leader who uh, had this vision for uh, a pan-indigenous territory that would have radically changed the geography of, of North America as we know it had the promises to him been made good on, is then captured and, and is enslaved for many years in the American South, ends up escaping and founding the black community of this town in Ontario called Owen Sound, which was considered the northern terminus of the Underground Railroad. And welcome back to The Writer Files. I am still your humble host, Kelton Reed, wishing you pages, patience, and perseverance per usual. Acclaimed debut novelist Kai Thomas spoke to me about writing historical fiction that interweaves Black and Indigenous cultures, the power of storytelling, keeping grounded in his work, and his novel, In the Upper Country. Kai is a writer, carpenter, and land steward of Soulfire Farm, a community-centered farm committed to uprooting racism and ceding sovereignty in the food system. His debut novel is In the Upper Country and described as an unforgettable story that unearths the tangled fates of two resilient women from different generations with different pasts as they reveal the deeply connected histories of Black and Indigenous peoples of North America and their relationship to the land around them. A publisher's weekly starred review called it a mesmerizing debut that explores freedom, family, and the interconnections between white, black, and indigenous communities in 1859 Canada. In this file, Kai and I discussed how an MFA program helped him find his confidence as a writer, the importance of mentorship, peer evaluation, and fiction workshops for honing his debut, gleaning inspiration from his cultural heritage in an old photograph, exploring lesser-known chapters of history, finding a balance between research and writing, trusting the process, and a lot more. Stay calm and write on. And don't forget, you can always support this show by heading to writerfiles.fm, where you can also sign up for email updates, get links to merch, and other resources for writers. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click follow to automatically see new interviews in your podcatcher as soon as they're published and drop us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you tune in 
to help other writers find us. Okay, we are back on The Writer Files, and I am honored today to be joined by an acclaimed debut novelist. I've got Kai Thomas on the line today, and I'm really excited to wrap with you about all things writing and this uh, fantastic new novel of yours. Thanks, Kelton. I'm really excited to, to be here. I can't wait to just talk about what you've been up to uh, in the run-up to your publication day, which is fast approaching. So here we are chatting on the eve of the dropping of In the Upper Country. And um, how are you feeling? What's the, uh, what's the vibe over there? I'm really excited. Um, I have some nerves for sure, especially being that it's the first time I, I've written a novel and, and also the first time that I have had to speak about it in a coherent way mm-hmm. over the course of, uh, of a few different interviews. So I'm excited in that I feel that I'm learning how to do that a bit better. So you're getting me at like the, the fifth interview or something like that. So I, <laughs> I'm feeling, I'm feeling good about the, the role that I'm hitting. So, um, cool. So yeah, I'm, I'm getting to talk about it in a new way, which is interesting. I'm, it's really interesting for me to hear how it's landing with different people, to hear the questions that different folks have. So I'm really excited to, to, to chat about it with you and to, uh, to hear a little bit of, of your perspective and your lines of inquiry and let's get into all of that. For sure. Um, I can't wait to talk about the book and its reception and, and it's been really, really impressive to see. But also I uh, want to talk about your background and kind of um, your life before um, the release of this book. Talk a little bit about how how kind of how you got here and like, you know, I know so many writers and especially like debut authors talk about, you know, this circuitous path of publication and kind of, you know, a life before writing. But surely um, this, you know, you've, you've been writing for some time, but you also have been doing all these really interesting things, um, specifically, you know, as I understand it, a land steward of Soulfire Farms there. Uh, I, I understand that you're actually in upstate New York now. Yeah, I live and work uh, at Soulfire Farm, which is a uh, a nonprofit educational farm that has a mission of of dismantling racism in the food system. And we run a lot of educational programs related to food and land sovereignty. And my role here mostly concerns with with the infrastructure as we're especially as we're kind of building out a campus. So yeah, my, my, my work these days involves a lot of uh, maintenance, hands-on carpentry, kind of grounds work type mm, of mm-hmm. type of work. So that's, that's, that's what I'm involved in currently. And yeah, the, the work, the, most of my, my focus on my career over the past 10 years or so has been in similar sort of work doing small scale yeah. farming related and and progressively uh, I've kind of found my niche in that world and in, in terms of my interest in 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 carpentry and in infrastructure and in designing hmm. those systems of where human structures interact with with the natural landscape. Hmm. Mm-hmm. 
That seems like all really rele- relevant stuff now, especially given, you know, kind of the, these concentric circles of crises, including climate change. And of course, um, as you mentioned, the mission of Soulfire Farm there um, to kind of working to end food apartheid. And, you know, I understand a part of that is, um, you know, kind of some of these food deserts that a lot of uh, communities face as a result of kind of like longstanding systemic racism and, and so on and so forth. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is our mission and what we do. And I find that work, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a real blessing to work uh, for an organization that has such a, a clear purpose and is so uh, competent in, in its, in its goals and in the skills that, that we teach people here. And it uh, it helps keep me keep me grounded, keep keep me focused. I enjoy writing, but I think if I if I had to do that all day every day, I would feel so restless. So <laughs> it's really uh, it's it's really good for me to have that more hands on mm. anchor in my life. That's really cool. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely drop a link to Soulfire Farm, of course. Right on. Um, in addition to, to your home base there. But uh, yeah, so talk about the writing piece. So how, how do you incorporate um, or find the time to write a novel? And, you know, before we talk about In the Upper Country and kind of the, uh, the genesis of the novel, talk about, yeah, what, what brought you to writing? When did you, when did you decide, yes, I am going to um, really mine this, this rich... Uh, vein of uh, uh, historical fiction and then yeah um find a publisher well i have to credit i i did an mfa at university of guelph and that was a huge step for me because i had aspirations to write prior to that and i and i had been doing creative writing as a hobby uh prior to that but it was that it was the training and the mentorship and just the learning how to workshop that i that I did over the course of that program that gave me a, a huge leg up. And it, it, it's not that it was a, it was the defining element in the creation of this particular work. I, I think a lot of work and, and just conceptual work went into it prior to that two year program. And it's been nearly, well, it's been over two years now that since I've been, out of that program. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction, And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. 
And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. I just got a ton of practice. So that, that was really key in, in building confidence, as I mentioned, and, and in the development of this, this book, there was a fair amount of conceptual work and just dabbling as, as a creative writer that I engaged in beforehand and kind of years prior to that. And there was a ton of work to do on the manuscript in the years following that. But that experience definitely anchored me as a, as a writer and just gave me the, the opportunity to imagine doing this as a career. So yeah, big shout out to to University of Guelph's Creative Writing MFA for that experience. And I guess in yeah, in in the time since since that it has just been a process of getting getting a, a couple of really good agents. I have uh, two fantastic agents, Samantha Haywood and Shailene Knight at the transatlantic agency and they are great advocates for for my work and for the manuscript and they were able to to connect me to the uh, the publishing house houses and and from there you know again the 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 editors i think throughout the the whole process i've just i'm just so grateful for all of the the different hands and the different eyes and perspectives that have helped not only shape shape the work because I'm a huge uh, uh, proponent and I value hugely the, the process of, of, of call and response and, and, and hearing how my work is landing with other people and what's confusing to them and just trying to listen to that with a very open mind. And, and that, that process was, was significant uh, throughout, throughout the two years or so of, of editing and rewriting. The, the manuscript that I had following my my uh, MFA program. So, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Always quite the process, and now you're kind of on the eve of uh, the birth of your uh, of your first novel, and that's got got to feel pretty good, as you said. Um, having some nerves, but of course, the reception has been been really really cool to see. As I mentioned, yeah, you've been compared to some. Uh, some peers that are kind of heavyweights, of course. And then, yeah, I mean, let's talk about the genesis of the book and and quick summary. So traveling along the lines of the Underground Railroad from the American South to, to Michigan, from the indigenous nations around 
Great Lakes region to the Black refugee communities in Canada. In the upper country is a story of family upheaval, love, and survival, and it's been described simply as the fates of two unforgettable women, one just beginning a journey of reckoning and self-discovery, and the other completing her life's last vital act intertwined in this sweeping uh, novel set at the terminus of the Underground Railroad. So talk a little bit about kind of, again, the genesis, uh, how you were inspired to not only uh, write this story, which you know has some deep historical roots that you must have um, had to research and incorporate, but um, also how your own cultural heritage um, kind of uh, inspired this debut. Right, right. I mean, the earliest point at which I can identify thinking about writing a novel such as this was when I came across an old photograph or copy of an old photograph that was from the mid-1800s, undated, and it captured this image of a man uh, named John Daddy Hall. Who, who was a kind of like a semi, he developed a semi-mythological kind of character when you read about his stories. I shout out the historian Peter Myler, who has done most of the work talking about John Daddy Hall's life. But I came across this photograph, which was significant even in, insofar as just, you know, a photograph from the mid-19th century of a of a black person was is is something of a rarity and this would have been the first moment in history that black folks or any marginalized peoples would have been able to represent themselves in this way with the advent of photography so it was this really interesting kind of moment in in visual culture right and i start to read about john daddy hall and his story is just was just incredible uh to name a few different highlights of of the story of his life he was of African as well as indigenous descent. He fought in the War of 1812, not for the British or the Americans, but for Tecumseh, who was a, a Shawnee and kind of pan-indigenous visionary and leader who uh, had this vision for uh, a pan-indigenous territory that would have radically changed the geography of, of North America as we know it had the promises to him been made good on. So you have John Daddy Hall, who's this mixed black and indigenous man fighting for her and with uh, Tecumseh is then captured and, and is enslaved for many years in the American South, ends up escaping and founding the black community of this town in Ontario called Owen Sound, which was considered the Northern terminus of the underground railroad. It's right up there. Uh, on the coast of Georgian Bay, which is a bay off one of the, the Great Lakes, and ends up living an extraordinarily long life, purportedly like 115 years old. And so I'm just reading the story. I'm like, wow, this is, incre- this is an incredible story. This would make for a good novel. But not only would it make for a good novel, it touches on these chapters of history and these historical relationships and dynamics that I've never seen represented in literature uh, I'd never seen a, or heard a story about uh, a, a black person, what a black person's experience would have been in the War of 1812, a historical moment like that. I'd never really thought about, you know, what happened at the end of the Underground Railroad. I'd understood the concept of the Underground Railroad and and you know what it, what it, what purpose it served in in the movement for emancipation of of 
black people in this continent, but you know, these communities, what were they like? Uh, what, who made them up? What were the dynamics they were involved in? What were the challenges that they were dealing with? And so just all of these questions. So his life, I, I, I give a deep bow of respect to the life of this, this man, first and foremost, for what he lived through and persevered through. And, and secondly, for inspiring a research journey that went on to, you know, form the bread and butter of this novel. I want to talk about the research piece, of course, and the amount of um, just uh, love that went into the book. But talk for a minute about how you chose the point of view. And um, I think, you know, part of it would be, we'll get into kind of the importance of, of the storytelling piece and kind of, you know, the oral traditions and so on and so forth. But yeah, talk about, talk about uh, how you chose this daunting task. Yeah, so, I mean, I think... I was interested in these varying chapters of history. I was interested in War of 1812 in particular because it was it struck me as a moment in history that is not very well understood or to the extent that I learned it in school it was very kind of vague and convoluted you know why were, why people were fighting this war what was won what was lost questions like like that and when I dug into it a little bit more I was just really intrigued by how from black and indigenous perspectives, it was, it was a, a very monumental moment. It was a very uh, significant moment rather in, in history of, of this region. I was interested in the underground railroad as well, because especially growing up as a black Canadian, I, you know, these two moments in history, 1812 and Underground Railroad are, are two of kind of the national myths, you could say. Not myths in the sense of they're mythological, but in the sense that these are the kind of stories that that inform what, as Canadians, we think of as our national identity. And so it has to do with, in the case of the Underground Railroad, a, a, a racial tolerance that is kind of inherent to what it means to be Canadian. In the case of the War of 1812, it's this notion of uh again you know sort of a pluralistic society you have french english indigenous people coming together to to combat the the invading americans these are like some of the stories that i grew up with i was interested in unpacking those and not to destroy them but but to examine them closely and and look at the nuance that is inherent in them and and so i had you know this varying this very wide scope of of what i wanted to capture in the narrative and so especially in the early manuscripts i don't i uh the main character lincinda she was in there but i didn't really have a concept of her being the main character or the protagonist or the anchor point for the whole story it was much more fragmented and it could have gone in in, in any direction so i liked that there were there was this chorus of voices there were many different characters telling their stories and these were interweaving but especially in the earlier drafts of the manuscript the, that fragmentation was not a an asset to the storytelling because of the feedback that i was getting from a lot of people was like it's it's confusing you know i'm i'm reading and i'm losing track of who's who and 
And I think there's probably an element, <laughs> there might be an element of that that still exists. But what I ended up doing to address that is is really anchoring the whole narrative with the perspective of this this one character, Lincinda. And so that, I think you know, allowed me to still still hold the, the the scope of having multiple perspectives, but always bringing it back to, to her story. And, and really, at the end of the day, if I think back to what the narrative is actually doing, is it's really just following her over the course of four days, four or five days of her life, as she has recollections, as she encounters people who tells, tell her stories, as she reads the narratives of other people. And so Anchoring it in that way, I think, gave, gave the narrative some, uh, gave the novel some cohesion. Well, it's been described as both precise and yet lyrical. And I think, yeah, obviously the power of interweaving these histories, uh, you know, and and doing it in such a, uh, a lyrical way is, is ambitious, but but it seems that you've succeeded and had quite a few really glowing reviews. I, I want to just read a couple uh, blurbs really quick. I thought, of course, Kirkus reviews and Star Review had said the harshly real and fantastic mingle in ways that recall Tano Hasi Coates, the Water Dancer. What's most impressive is Thomas's imaginative power, sure-handed, often lyrical prose, and strong, complex, resilient women and. Um, yeah, that, that that was probably kind of nice to get. Yeah, absolutely, very very <laughs> affirming. <laughs> yeah, I, I I was thrilled. I was thrilled that yeah, I've got some positive reception so far, and you know, and in even you know beyond the the the, the reviewing bodies such as Kirkus or Publishers Weekly or, or what have you. Uh, just to be able to hear, you know, I've been reading the Goodreads reviews and I'm interested in like what people have to say who are, are not necessarily recognized in that way. And it's, it's, it is, it's really cool to, to, you know, Im, Im, imagine and, and, and try and create something that has an intent and an aim to see people pick up on some of the things that I was trying to do successfully, uh, I was trying to accomplish. And, um, yeah, it's incredibly incredibly affirming and, and just a, a really interesting process you know to engage in yeah yeah well congratulations on the work of course um your peers have, have had some really fantastic things to say as well thank you and um yeah i mean i want to talk about the power and the function of storytelling but um yeah i mean there i think there's something really important to hear about kind of again oral traditions and but you know there's something maybe something has been lost in the internet age i don't know um talk a little bit about that i mean you know folklore and and medicine and and you know you talk some about um kind of witchcraft and and these are things that have always had like a rich oral tradition right it's not like it's not like there are reams and reams of of literature from that era that you could go back to and and reference but at the same time you know now we have access to you know any any information we could ever desire at our fingertips um where does yeah i don't know where where do you how do we connect these things and how do we make (laughs) how do we make work like this this more important or at least more vital now well it's interesting you know hearing your question the way you're formulating it i what it makes me think of is 
the ways in which my own experience in the digital age kind of aided in in structuring it the way I did. You know, I hear you asking about, you know, the ancient, trying to, I hear you asking about the, the ancient tradition of oral storytelling, call and response, which is definitely what I was trying to evoke and speak to in the novel. And for me, engaging with the internet in order to do some of my research, engaging with, I don't know, YouTube videos in order to visualize certain plants or, you know, harvesting techniques or tool, like older tool use, you know what I mean? Engaging with with these technologies in that way, it almost... It, there's there's a duality there i think that the technologies of of the of this digital age if you kind of succumb to them you know my experience of it is they'll just kind of pull you apart in this fragmentary way because there's so many pulls on one's attention uh and what i was trying to do was 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 to 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 harness that a little bit and say you know let me acknowledge that the distractions of the internet and of computers and screens and all these things are very real for me too. And in some ways it's kind of how the book came to be in this style, even though I'm calling to this, this older era of, of oral storytelling, I'm also trying to work with the constant, uh, uh, fragmentation of, of digital, of the digital realm in order to to accomplish that so that's that's what i'm thinking of because and again you know going back to the the earlier drafts that were just fragmented to the point of being confusing i think it's a reflection of how my attention was was fragmented in some way by by you know being by engaging with with the internet in this case and i think the, the task was okay, you know, the, the internet, uh, these technologies should be a tool like any other if we can, if I can learn to use it as such. So, how can I strike that middle ground of, of allowing it to, uh, to pull at my attention in these varying ways and still trying to structure it, structure that pull into something that is whole? So, mm-hmm. that's, what, that's what your question makes me think of. No, it's interesting because I think, as you said, like striking a middle ground between the online research and then structuring resounding prose that tells a story in a linear fashion. Talk a little bit about, yeah, what, what type of a writer are you? What is, what is kind of the best writing day f- for you, um, you know, where you're really hitting your stride, where, you're, where you feel like you're in flow state? Is there any research left to be done or has that all, all been done beforehand? Are you mixing the two? How are you really... Mm kind of um how are you finding your stride as a writer that's a great question i I think for me what i realized at a certain point is like i'm not a historian and and i had to let go of the urge to just keep reading and keep talking to people and keep researching because I, i didn't have the capacity to read and to know everything i wanted to know about another period of history but there was there was a point at which I had to learn to draw the line, you know, and, and it, and it, 
came many, many times, you know, there'd be many times I'd be writing a scene and realize, hey, I don't actually know how this character would say this, or I, I don't actually know what this character would do in this circumstance uh, because of the limits of, of, of my knowledge about, about history or material culture or whatever it was. So I think, you know, there was a point at which I was like, okay, let me just write it anyways and let it be imperfect and revisit it, revisit it later. And that process of, of coming back to it, you know, learning to get over the fear of, of imperfection and of, you know, flawed prose or, or flawed details and just getting it down and, 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 and revisiting it later and trusting that in continuing to return to a piece, I'm going to be able to pick up what, what doesn't make sense. And other people will be able to pick up and, and alert me to what doesn't make sense or what doesn't seem right. And, and just trusting that process. Um, that, that is really key. And in terms of my, my ideal day, uh, for, for large chunks of the writing process, because I, I work full time, um, doing other things, I, I just got into a good morning routine and occasionally evening routine as well in terms of just, just getting up and, and, and writing or rewriting or just reading and just trusting that, you know, following the, the point in the text at which I am interested in that moment is going to be beneficial and, and letting the rest of the imperfections lie until until it is time to address them is 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 the process that I that I that I landed on and uh, and 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 yeah you know I, I'm not the type of person who finds it very productive to to sit and write for five six hours I found it much more effective to to just create a, a consistent uh, process where for shorter periods of time I can revisit and rewrite and add as necessary and, and all and all of that so that is is more or less my my process yeah and you're and you're kind of finding the process in the margins of course and relying on your craft because that that that, that early unpolished work um has been really um molded into something spectacular congrats in the upper country weaves together unlikely stories of love survival and familial upheaval that map the interconnected history of the peoples of north america in an entirely new and resonant way um i could go on and on with the blurbs but um yeah uh i want to pick your brain more about writing but we do have to wrap here and i got uh, a fun one for you um before we wrap up with your kind of advice to your fellow scribes if you could have dinner with any author from any era to your favorite uh spot favorite restaurants in the world uh who would you take where would you take them all expenses paid of course it's on me oh thank you <laughs> we're putting it on the corporate card <laughs> awesome awesome i love that i love that i yeah gosh i'm gonna say the thing is where i live there's not a ton of really great options so i'm gonna say 
cook at home, fire up the grill, and eat with my family as a setting. And in terms of who I would love to talk to, hmm, I was just thinking about a book that I've returned to a few times. It's called No Pain Like This Body. It's the only work by a man named Harold Sonny Ladue, who is actually from from Trinidad, and he wrote this book and and was kind of mysteriously murdered uh, shortly after. And the book is just beautiful. It is one of those books that holds, you know, this vast scope of emotion, at least for me, reading it. Like, I've never laughed so hard reading a book. It is intense and brutal and, and all of the things. And so beautifully particular in its detail that uh, it just stands out as this phenomenal work that I, I feel this this very uh, personal connection to. So I would bring Harold Ladue back and, and, and have a nice Trini meal with him and my family and just chop it up. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate your your words, your wisdom. Um, I'd love to have you back and do it again sometime. And of course, I will drop a link to your home base there, kaithomasauthor.com. And of course, this uh, vibrant debut in the upper country. I mentioned Soulfire Farm. Also drop a link there. Anywhere else you want to connect with uh, listeners before we wrap up with your final piece of advice? Uh, no, I mean, that's good. I'm not really on social media, so... Uh, just you know, visiting my uh, my publisher's websites is is the best bet for that. But thank you so yeah. much for for linking those other. Of other course, and and maybe mm-hmm. a review on uh, Goodreads. That you can right. Uh, see. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will read it. Very I will cool. Read it. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Okay. Um, if you have a pearl of wisdom on uh, for fellow scribes on just how to persevere, uh, what would you drop? I'm going to pick a little bit back up on what we were talking about earlier and just say, you know, there's a lot of good writers out there and not to get caught up in the comparison because what I've found is that there's, there's, it's fruitless. There's, there's no point uh, in doing so be the best that you can be and don't be afraid of, of that imperfection and just revisit and revisit and and rework and rewrite. I think that is the, that is the thing that that um, can can bring about your best work. I love it. Embracing imperfection is an important uh, message to leave our listeners with. Again, um, thank you. Come back in the future. Would love to have you, and um, wish you the best of luck on your tour and um, with the farm. Thanks so much, Kelton. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us for this file. And if you're a fan of the show, simply head over to writerfiles.fm for more. That's writerfiles.fm.